Welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today we want to look at Psalm 40 together. Psalm 40. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders that you have done and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 40. Some classify this as a psalm of lament. But if it is a psalm of lament, it's different than most because it begins on a note of thanksgiving and praise and ends on a note of lament. Most psalms of lament do the opposite. They begin with mourning and grief and then end on the note of praise. But maybe some are too rigid in their view of the form of these particular psalms. Hard to classify anyway. But Psalm 40 begins with saying, I waited patiently for the Lord. Actually, the Hebrew has two forms of the same word, which both indicate waiting. It was the word that was used in verse 7 of Psalm 39, when the Bible says, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. In Psalm 40, he affirms he has patiently waited on the Lord. He has patiently waited. And the Bible says that the Lord has inclined his ear and heard his cry. Now, the word that's used here for cry was used in chapter 39, Psalm 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. So at the end of Psalm 39, he is begging God to hear his cry. And at the opening of Psalm 40, he is praising God because he has heard his cry. He describes the dilemma that he was in. And we don't know any more of it than what we can see described in this psalm. But he describes his dilemma in verse 2 as a pit of destruction, as the miry clay. Now, this word for pit that is used here was used nine times in the account of Joseph. It was used seven times in Jeremiah 37 and 38 as Jeremiah is thrown into the pit. And you may remember that when Jeremiah was thrown into the pit, his feet sank in the mud in 38 in verse 6. This is the type thing that David experiences. But God has brought him out of this. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. God has delivered him from this. He's rescued him from this. And he has set his feet up on a rock, 
making his footsteps firm. God has given him a firm place to stand, a place where he is secure from the threatening waves. And God has put in verse 3 a new song in my mouth. Now, this new song is apparently sung in a public setting. Notice that it's a song of praise to our God. He's singing this new song before other believers. And his hope is, in verse 3, that many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. The purpose of his singing of God's deliverance and praising God's name for his rescue is that others will see and fear and trust. And he says, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust in verse 4. The word that's used as a verb in verse 3 is used here as a noun. Blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. This word for trust is used several times in the Old Testament. About half of them deal with putting trust in God, and half of them deal with putting trust in the wrong places, with nations or people. Where is your trust? Who is your source of security? There are alternatives to look for in this world, but blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Blessed is the one who has put his trust, his confidence, his hope, his security in God. How blessed is that person. Notice in verse 4, he's put his trust in the Lord and he's not turned to the proud, nor has he lapsed into falsehood. The word falsehood can be used of false gods, or it can be used of dishonesty. But he is not putting his trust in either of these, but he's putting his trust in God. And he says in verse 5, Many, O Lord, are the wonders which you have done. He's in awe at all of God's wonders. He says, many are they. And he says, there is none who can compare with you. We sing a song sometimes that emphasizes that there is no God his equal, no prince his heir, that God is without equal. He is without comparison. There is none to compare with you. And if I would declare and speak of them, they will be too numerous to count. And we want to come back to that idea later, that idea found in verse 5 about God's wonders being too many to count. In verses 6 through 8, as he has experienced God's great deliverance, he wants to express himself in praise to God. And he says, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired, nor ears my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Sacrifice 
and meal offering you've not desired. There are uh, four different words for sacrifice used here in verse 6. Sacrifice, meal offering, burnt offering, and sin offering all represent different Hebrew words. And they represent three of the five types of sacrifice mentioned in Leviticus 1 through 7. One of the words, the first word that's used, sacrifice, is, is a general word, which sometimes is used for another of those types of sacrifice quite frequently, the peace offering, but it can refer to several sacrifices. But what I'm trying to say is he is summing up a variety of words for Old Testament sacrifices and Old Testament offerings to emphasize that these are not what God desired. Is this an either-or proposition? Is God saying, I don't want your sacrifices at all and they are not pleasing to me? Is that the point of Psalm 40? I don't think that's the point at all. I think the point is that while God wants their sacrifices, there are attitudes which have to accompany those sacrifices if they're going to be acceptable. Does the Lord have as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. This same idea is summed up many other places. In Isaiah 1, verses 10 through 17. In Jeremiah 7, verses 21 through 26. Listen to these words from Psalm 51. You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God took pleasure in the sacrifices of the Israelites. They arose as a sweet savor before him. He states repeatedly in Leviticus 1 through 4. But that wasn't that wasn't acceptable unless they had first given their heart to God. He said, God, sacrifice and offering is not your greatest desire, but my ears you have opened. The Old Testament sometimes speaks of closed ears or uncircumcised ears. In Isaiah 6, verse 10, in Jeremiah 6, in verse 10, in Acts 7, verse 51, Stephen used the same kind of expression. Some had their ears closed and their ears were uncircumcised. But David's ears are open. He wants to listen to what God says. And he wants to do it. And he says, Behold, it is written in the scroll of the book, I have come to do your will. It's very difficult in the context of this psalm to figure out the book that's mentioned here in verse 7. That's a word that's used elsewhere only in Jeremiah 36, Ezekiel 2 and 3, and Zechariah 5. It may be dealing with the instruction from a king in Deuteronomy chapter 17. In the scroll of the book, 
It's written of me as the king is given regulation, instruction as to things to avoid and things to do and how to put his hope and trust in God. I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. The word delight in verse 8 in the New American Standard Bible is the same word translated desired in verse 6. God has not desired their sacrifices and meal offerings, but David delighted or desired to do God's will. Now notice in verses 10, 9 and 10 how David lumps together a multitude of terms to emphasize God's nature. In verse 9, I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. These verses speak of God's righteousness, of God's faithfulness, of God's salvation, of God's loving kindness, of God's truth. And it seems to me the point of verses 9 and 10 is that as God has delivered David, he has not kept the story of what God has done to rescue him. He's not kept that story quiet. He has not been a secret disciple. He has proclaimed what God has done, God's righteousness, God's faithfulness, God's salvation, God's loving kindness, and God's truth. He has proclaimed these things openly and shouted his name before all. In verse 11, He says, you, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. In verse 11, the word withhold, you, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion. It is the same word translated restrain in verse 9. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. He has not restrained or withheld praise from his lips in verse 9. And he begs God not to restrain or withhold his compassion in verse 11. The same loving kindness and truth that he has praised God for in verse 10, he's asking for a continual display of this. In verse 11, your loving kindness and your truth will preserve me. In verse 12, evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed. Notice that he speaks of his enemies being many, and his sins being great. His sins have overtaken him. They are more than the hairs of his head. In verse 5, he describes God's wondrous ways and God's wondrous works as being too numerous to count. And now in verse 12, the Bible emphasizes that his sins are too numerous to count. Isn't that an odd combination? 
His sins are too many to count. But God's thoughts toward him and God's goodness are too many to count. His sin is met has met its match in God's mercy and grace. It is interesting as well that the word see that's used in verse 12 is used here. And his sins are so many, his iniquities are so great, he's not able to see. But back in verse 3, the text emphasized that many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. The point I'm making is this. Because of his own sins, he's not able to see in verse 12. But in verse 3, as a result of his praise and magnifying God, many are able to see. Now the words of verses 13 through 17 will reappear in the Psalms, in Psalm 70. As the Bible talks about his distress and begging God for a quick deliverance in verse 13, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Notice a contrast between the wicked and the righteous in those last few verses. In verse 14, the wicked are seeking my life. They are seeking David's life. But notice in verse 16, as David describes the righteous, they are ones who seek you. Do you seek God? Or do you seek those to punish those who pursue God. Which category do you fall in? And notice the difference in their words. In verse 15, the wicked are saying, Aha! Aha! They are catching someone in, in a dangerous deed, and they're laughing at them, and they're mocking them. They have them now. Aha! But notice... In contrast to what the wicked say in verse 15, the righteous in verse 16 say, Let the Lord be magnified. They give glory and praise and thanks to God. Now, there are a lot of ways that we can see that Jesus lived Psalm 40. Jesus experienced the mistreatment that Psalm 40 describes, there were many who sought his life in verse 14, and many who said at his trial in verse 15, aha, aha, we, we've got him now. Jesus experienced the same kind of mistreatment 
that Psalm 40 describes. And Jesus experienced the deliverance that Psalm 40 praises God for. Jesus was lifted out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay. He was lifted out of the pit only to be delivered and have his feet set on a firm place. He was lifted from the pit of destruction. The word that was used for pit in verse 2 that we mentioned earlier and connected it with, with the time of Joseph and the time of Jeremiah, it's also a word that's used in the Old Testament on occasions to make reference to death. And Jesus was delivered from that pit and set on high, and we were all given a new song, as verse 3 spoke of, to sing because of him. But the most extensive use of Psalm 40 in the New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verses 5 through 10, explains the words of Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Listen to Hebrews 10. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifice and offerings and whole burnt offerings for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, Psalm 40 is quoted here in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 10. You may have noticed a difference. Psalm 40 spoke of sacrifice and offering that God did not desire, but my ears you have opened. While Hebrews 10 says, not that sacrifice, sacrifice and offering you've not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. If you wonder the difference, this Hebrews 10, the writer is following the Septuagint, the Greek translation, the main Greek translation of the Old Testament. But a body you have prepared me. The psalmist says God desires, God, God's sacrifice, sacrifices are acceptable to God. Only if you first give your heart and soul to God. But Psalm, Hebrews 10 picks up on the wording of Psalm 40 and mentions all these types of sacrifice and shows that in the body of Jesus, he has come once and for all to put an end to all types of sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. His one sacrifice for sins accomplishes what the multitude of the bulls and the goats and the lambs offered in the Old Testament could not. His blood brings forgiveness. Psalm 40 is powerful, and we haven't done it justice, but I hope 
we've helped you understand it a little bit better. May the Lord bless you.